Have you ever felt like something or someone was just trying to take you or pull you down? Well, last week, our message was how to be your own CEO, chief encouragement officer. Next week, we're going to talk about how to encourage others. But today, we're going to talk about how you can fight against discouragement, how you can fight against discouragement. Beyond encouraging yourself, there are times when you are so overwhelmed by multiple things happening all at the same time, you feel like you need some extra firepower. And even though the enemy is an expert at dishing out discouragement, I believe that God's message for you today will give you the tools and the weapons of hope necessary to fight against discouragement. So let's go to the Lord in prayer before we go right into the word of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you that even while there are forces that try to pull us down as strong as gravity, that you can give us the power to rise up and to even fight against discouragement in our own hearts. And I pray that today's message would do just that, for it is in the name of Jesus we commit it to you now. Amen and amen. Well, gravity has a way of pulling us down, the gravity of life, the gravity of relationships, the gravity of finances, and definitely the gravity of the last two years of the coronavirus pandemic. And right now, even as we speak in Ukraine and in Europe, we have the unbelievable and chilling gravity of war. My goal in today's sermon is to pull you back up. You see, gravity may be a strong force that pulls us down, but scientifically, there are other forces in the universe that are stronger than gravity. Did you know that? Scientifically speaking, out of the four hyperphysical forces that are in the universe, there are three that are greater than the fourth one, which is gravity. There's a force called the strong nuclear force, another one called the magnetic force, and another one called the weak nuclear force. All three are greater than gravity. And to complicate matters in this invisible realm of what they call dark matter or dark energy is where the universe is made up of like 95%. 95% of the universe is dark matter. So we have these four forces within the universe that are operating within the universe that is 95% dark matter. That's about all the science you're gonna get out of me today. But join me tonight at 5 p.m. where I'll have some of the top scientists in the country to talk to us where I'll have also clergy who will pray for them. We're gonna build a bridge between faith and science at 5 p.m. and wherever you are in the world today, you can join us today, March 13th, 2022, 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on all of our platforms. Go to our website to check it out. While truly, scientifically, in the realm of hyperphysics, you have these forces that I was talking about, strong nuclear and magnetic and weak nuclear and gravitational forces. They all exist in the natural universe, but in the spiritual universe, there are also forces that seek to pull us down. And if you'll allow me, I want to talk about the gravitational forces that pull on you within the dark matters of your soul. 
In fact, if you'll go with me now to the scriptures, I'm going to take you to Psalm 143. And we're going to see that David had to live through the difficult gravitational forces that were pulling on his soul. Psalm 143. Now, this psalm could have been written when David was on the run from Saul before he was king. It could have been written after he was king when his son Absalom was chasing him. It's not actually uh, noted exactly where he was and what he was doing at this time, but it's one of those six sort of penitent psalms that have been written out of all 150 psalms. And actually, traditionally in the early church, they used to read this psalm and even sang it on Ash Wednesday, six weeks before Easter. Let's go there now. Psalm 143, it's 12 verses, verse one. Oh Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my cry for mercy. In your faithfulness and righteousness, come to my relief. Do not bring your servant into judgment for no one is living righteous before you. The enemy pursues me, he crushes me to the ground, he makes me dwell in darkness like those long dead. Did you notice those three actions of the enemy in verse three? Notice what he says, he pursues me, he crushes me, and he makes me dwell in darkness. Those three gravitational forces the enemy uses to pull David down. Let's look at them again, number one, he pursues me, we'll call this the chase. David is worn out by continually being on the run. He's worn out by being pursued over and over again. Some of you may feel that way. You're just tired of the fight. You're tired of the chase. My word to you on this day is stop running. In fact, resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's what James 4 says. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Stand your ground. Ephesians 6 says, when you have done everything to stand, stand. Put on the whole armor of God. So the first pull on David is this pursuit we call the chase. But secondly, it says in verse three, he crushes me. We'll call it the crush. David feels grinded down and defeated. He feels like a loser. He feels crushed by the enemy. Do you ever feel crushed? Defeated? Do you ever feel like a loser? You wanna lose five or 10 pounds, then you catch yourself eating ice cream at night, but then you stand on the scale in the morning hoping that the ice cream didn't have an effect, but guess what? It did. You felt defeated, crushed again. There's the temptation, the chase. Then there's the sin you committed or the failure you experienced, the crush. But then there's that third gravitational pull of the enemy being used to bring you down, We'll call that the closet. The dark place of shame and guilt that keeps you in the shadows of secrecy. In verse three, he darkens me. He makes me to lie down in darkness, the closet. The text says in 143 verse three, he makes me dwell in darkness. This is so opposite of what David said in Psalm 23 when he said, he makes me lie down in green pastures. 
he restores my soul. There's nothing lonelier than being in the dark closet of shame. See, the enemy tempts you, then you fall, then he taunts you. While you're crushed by your failure, you are feeling deep regrets of your choices as you judge yourself harder than anyone else could. No wonder John Mayer in his song Gravity ends it by saying, keep me where the light is. Keep me where the light is. Keep me where the light is. Where there is light, there is healing. What God reveals, God heals. What we conceal, we'll kill. Deal with your closet issues carefully, but do deal with them. First, deal with those issues before God. He's merciful and patient and kind and gracious, even when others may not be. Author and counselor Dr. Tim Clinton says this, it's not that kids are afraid of being in the dark. Kids aren't afraid of being in the dark. Kids are afraid of being in the dark alone. David actually said in Psalm 133, verses 7 through 10, just four chapters ago, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. It's not that I'm afraid of being in the dark. It's I'm afraid of being in the dark alone. In Psalm 139, continue, continuing on in verses 11 and 12, if I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. Invite God into the dark closet of your heart. Now back to Psalm 143, just four Psalms later after 139 where he said that. Notice how David now is in this pit of despair, picking it up at verse four. He says, so my spirit grows faint within me. My heart within me is dismayed. I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on your works and consider what your hands have done. I spread out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly. Oh, Lord, my spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me or I will be like those who go down to the pit. Wow. Notice those words. He says, my spirit grows faint. My heart is dismayed. My spirit fails. It doesn't get much worse than that, does it? Your spirit is failing and faint. Your heart is dismayed. If this isn't spiritual depression, I don't know what is. Whether it's clinical depression or not, I cannot tell you because I'm not a physician, a psychologist, or a psychiatrist. But as a pastor and Bible teacher, I can definitely tell you that there is Spiritual depression here, if not spiritual oppression. 
But yet David makes a pivot by the time he gets to verse 8. This is where we must also make a pivot in the midst of our pain. David's pivot in the midst of his pain may actually help us make our pivot as well. Notice that David turns to what he knows about God, specifically what he knows about the character of God. I want you to notice the three attributes of, of God's character that David holds on to as he's sinking lower and lower into the quicksand of depression, oppression, discouragement, and despair. What are those three attributes of God that we can find in this passage? Well, first, God's faithfulness. Second, God's righteousness. And third, God's love. Let's look first at God's faithfulness. In verse 1, we see it. David says, O Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my cry for mercy. In your faithfulness and righteousness, come to my relief. He mentions God's faithfulness. But also then he mentions God's righteousness in that same verse, verse 1 and in verse 11. In verse 1, hear my prayer, listen to my cry for mercy in your faithfulness. Here it is. And righteousness come to my relief. And then toward the end of the psalm in verse 11, he says, for your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life in your what? Righteousness. Bring me out of trouble. But he not only mentions the character of God's faithfulness and righteousness, but God's love in verse 8 and in verse 12. This is what it says in verse 8. Let the morning bring me, let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love. There it is. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. Verse 12. In your unfailing love, silence my enemies, destroy all my foes, for I am your servant. Wow. God's righteousness, God's faithfulness, God's love. Somehow David has to hold on to something in the midst of the pit that he's in. What have we learned so far? That David was spiritually depressed, maybe even oppressed. That the enemy was pursuing him. And the effects of the chase and the crush and the closet were eating him up and pulling him down like a gravitational force. And just like the physical universe has four forces, three of which are stronger than gravity, in the spiritual realm there are three forces that are stronger than the enemy, Satan, who's trying to pull us down. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. With the character of faithfulness and righteousness and love. But the stronger force that David held on to could pull him up out of the quicksand of his depression when he was holding on tightly to the very character of God in the midst of his pain. David pivoted in his pain. He held on to God's faithfulness. He held on to God's righteousness. He held on to God's love. And for some of you, that's what you need to hear today. Not about the circumstances that you're in, because you're in them. But in the midst of it all, while discouragement is knocking at your door, sometimes you can't go with what you see. You've got to go with what you know about God. And you know that God is faithful. You know that God is righteous. And you know that God is love. Somebody needs to hear today 
that God is faithful, that he will never leave you nor forsake you, that he came through for you in the 11th hour before and he'll come through for you again, that he was there for you in the past and he won't fail you now. God is faithful. Even when I am faithless, he remains faithful, says 2 Timothy. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Does anybody know about the faithfulness of God? Maybe somebody needs to hear today that God is righteous. God will always do what is right. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. God will make right all that is wrong. God will set right everything that is off, unjust, and unfair. Like Abraham said in Genesis 18, 25, when he asked the question, will not the judge of all the earth do right? Trust that God will do what is right. We serve a righteous God. We serve a just God. You can trust him that he will make crooked paths straight in due time. And God is saying to someone, and I don't know who it is, he's saying, let it go. I got this. Let her go. I got this. Let him go. I got this. Let them go. I got this. You're holding on to stuff that God is saying, I'll take care of it. I'm the righteous one. You're not. No one is righteous, but I am. So trust in me. Don't take matters into your own hands. Let God be God. He's a God who is faithful righteous and loving. Somebody needs to hear me tell them that God is loving. And more specifically, God loves you. Yeah. You're gay. He loves you. Let me say it again. You're gay. He loves you. You're transgender. He loves you. You're black. You're white. You're Asian. You're Hispanic. You're Russian. He loves you. You're Ukrainian. He loves you. It doesn't matter what adjective you put before people. God loves people. Whatever adjective you put in front of it, whether you agree with it or not, whether you stand behind it or not, whether you like it or not, any adjective you put before people doesn't matter. God loves people, period. Done. 
And may the church never tell people that they're hated because of their behavior, because of their orientation, because of their color, class, culture, sin. God loves people for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Do not believe those from religion that tell you God doesn't love you. It's a lie. There's nothing in the book that says God hates people. There's nothing in the book that says God hates fags. There's nothing in the book that says God hates whores or prostitutes. It's the exact opposite. No matter what your lifestyle is, no matter what you are trying to figure out in your life, no matter the dark closet of shame that you're in, invite him into the closet with you. Don't worry about coming out of the closet. Worry about who's coming into the closet. And even in your darkest moments, God says, I can be right there and your darkness will be light to him. God loves you. He is faithful. He is righteous. He is loving, and you fight against discouragement by inviting the very God who loves you into your dark place. Tell him what you're struggling with. Tell him what you're dealing with. David did, and as a result, even after the chase and the crushing and the darkness of the closet, God affirms his love. And as a practical matter, David's real straight with God. He starts, he starts making these requests of God. He actually, he actually requests nine things of God. Just listen to this. Bring me the word, verse 8. Show me the way, verse 8. Rescue me, verse 9. Teach me, verse 10. Lead me, verse 10. Preserve my life, verse 11. Bring me out of trouble, verse 11. Silence my enemies, verse 12. Destroy all my foes, verse 12. Nine things he requests. And out of these nine things, can I do an exercise with you? Tell me, tell me what category they fall into. I, I'll give you two of them. And I'm going to tell you what they are. Either deliverance or direction. Out of these nine things, Tell me which one you think they fall into. Now, I'm going to go through it again. And in the chat, you either say direction or deliverance. Let's start with the first one. David says, bring the word. Is that deliverance or direction? Direction. The second one, show me the way. Is he requesting deliverance or direction? What do you think? Write it in there. Direction. Rescue me. Deliverance or direction? Deliverance. Teach me. Deliverance or direction? Direction. Lead me. Deliverance or direction? Direction. Preserve my life. Deliverance or direction? Which one? Put it in the chat. Tell the people around you. 
deliverance. Bring me out. <laughs> Bring me out of trouble. <laughs> deliverance or direction? Deliverance. Two more. Silence my enemies. Deliverance, direction. Deliverance. Here's the last one. Destroy all my foes. Deliverance or direction? See, practically speaking, when you find yourself down and in despair and discouraged, one of the most important things you can do is to ask yourself and to ask God, God, do I need direction or do I need deliverance here? In David's case, he needed both, didn't he? Deliverance and direction. In Psalm 143, four of those nine requests were for direction. Five of those nine requests were for deliverance. And oftentimes, we got to ask God, God, deliver me. Or God, direct me. Oftentimes, though, listen, we'll cry out to God for deliverance, but we're not even seeking his direction. <laughs> God, just deliver me. And maybe what God is saying, <laughs> you're asking the wrong thing. You want deliverance. I'm trying to give you direction. We want to get out of our situation so then we can still go do what we've been wanting to do before we were in it. God said, no, 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 no. What I want to do is give you direction here. Hello, somebody. David was so connected with God that he knew that God was trying to teach him something in the midst of what he was going through. God, what do you want me, what do you want me to learn? He says, show me, teach me, bring me your word, lead me, O oh Lord. What are you learning in your situation that God is trying to teach you about himself or about yourself? On the other hand, sometimes we're seeking God for direction when he's actually trying to deliver us. <laughs> he wants to deliver us from evil. We want to stay in evil and say, God, God can you just help me navigate this? <laughs> God, can you just give me direction? For somebody listening today, God's not trying to get you through. God is trying to get you out. You're trying to stay longer than you should. And God is saying, no, your time, you need to get out of it. And you're staying. God is saying, no, 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 no. You're staying longer than you should. I'm trying to get you out of that. David requested both deliverance and direction. And and why is it that David could ask these things? Well, because of the very last phrase, he says this, I am your servant. Beloved, because we are God's servants, indeed his sons and his daughters, we can say, God, I'm your son, I'm your daughter, I'm your servant. And because of that, you can do what it says in Hebrews, come to the throne of grace to find grace and mercy in the time of need. Beloved, you can fight your discouragement and you can defeat your foe by holding on to the very character of God. For he is faithful, he is righteous, and he is loving. And I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all of creation can separate you from the love of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen and amen.
Thanks for listening to the Bridgeway Community Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Bridgeway, visit our website at bridgeway.cc. To watch all of our sermons, visit our YouTube channel and make sure you subscribe while you're there. If you'd like to download sermon notes, just click the link in the description. If you'd like to take part in our 30th anniversary challenge, go to bridgeway.cc 30. That's bridgeway.cc T-H-I-R-T-Y. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.